Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Good afternoon. My name is Alex, and I'll be your conference operator today. Welcome to Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, a series about the latest developments in politics and policy in D.C. Our call today will be moderated by Blake Rutherford, a member of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Our speakers are Howard Schweitzer, Managing Partner, and Mark Alderman, Chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. This recording will also be available on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Cozen O'Connor. This call is being recorded Tuesday, June 13, 2017. For any questions, please email presidentialanalysis at cozen.com. I would now like to turn the conference over to Blake Rutherford. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you very much, <clears throat> and thanks to everyone for dialing in. Welcome back uh, to Cozen O'Connor's uh, discussion of the latest developments in Washington, D.C., and there have been quite a few since we were all together. I'm joined by Mark Alderman the chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and Howard Schweitzer, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Mark Howard, great to be with you again. <clears throat> Thanks, Blake. Good to be here, Blake. Um, dare I offer... Exactly. Um, <laughs> hey, dare I say anything at all, uh, but dare I offer uh, a general question to you both, um, which is this. Update me on the state of our union. Mark, how how is... How is the country doing um, six months into President Trump? Well, like, it's a tale of two cities. It's a tale of two countries in, in a sense. But in Washington, we have two different realities. Not, it's not an alternative. You don't get to choose between them. There are two different dimensions of what is really happening going on. You have the Congress of the United States open for business and doing business. You have most immediately a furious effort in the Senate to pass uh, a health care bill, as the House has already done. And they just may get it done. We can come back to that a little bit later. You have agencies with the door open and people walking in and out all day long trying to transact business with the United States government. And then there's this other thing going on where Donald Trump is president, where there is some kabuki theater version of the emperor's new clothes going on where he sits in a cabinet meeting and says things that everyone in the room and everyone watching knows are not true. And it is, it is strange, and it is getting stranger by the day. So our experience down there, and I'll, I'll turn it over to Howard to share his, but our experience down there is it, <laughs> it depends which door you walk through. Uh, to know what's going on in Washington, Howard, what do you what do you think? What's how, how is the state of our union uh, sitting here on June thirteenth, twenty seventeen? I mean, it's not great <clears throat> from a um, kind of stability of the country, big picture perspective. I think most significantly in the international context. I think. I think we're we're in a, a scary place, but 
the business of Washington goes on. And I, I think that there are a lot of good things happening. Um, it depends on your definition of good, but a lot's getting done. And this administration is leaning in places where the Obama administration, frankly, failed to for eight years. And, and things are getting done. And, and, and um, you know, there's a real cabinet in place. Um, there are real people inside these agencies, and and it's a it's an interesting time and a good time to advance your agenda from from that perspective. I think if all you do is watch CNN and and you know MSNBC and Fox for that matter, you know you that reality isn't isn't too great. Um, and, and this administration is in a lot of trouble. From a big picture political perspective, but but the business of governing is going better than than meets the eye. But but, but I just want to say, uh, continuing the uh, tale of two cities, it is not the best of times and the worst of times. It's just the worst of times because this White House, this administration is not set up to deal with the world. It's your point, Howard, about the international arena being where we are most exposed. And the crises that the White House is managing have all been self-inflicted, all inflicted by one man, the president. And I worry, and, and I know you and other many, many other Americans do too, about how we're going to handle what the world inevitably brings. So, yes, government is open for business, and we are, as a public strategies practice, busier than ever, which was unexpected to me at least. But but these are not the best of times and the worst of times. It It is far more worse than better. So I want to stick with, with the – this this notion of dysfunctionality because there are to the to the outside viewer and where where you both have unique insight um it's it appears that white house dysfunction is synonymous with washington dysfunction and if what i'm hearing from both of you is that's certainly not the case yet we have uh the president um indicating to his chief of staff depending on who you believe but let's let's take the the news reports as as accurate for purposes of discussion uh, that his White House chief of staff has until uh, July 4th to to cure the dysfunctionality that exists in the White House. Uh, Howard, how much credence do you give to um, to to the fact that that the White House may not be operating, you know, in a traditional manner um, and uh, what relationship uh, does that have to the to the real interworkings of government? Because I think there's there's some confusion that I think it'd be worthwhile to clear up about how much weight to to give to these stories that the White House just that the wing is not functional. <clears throat> I mean, it, the, <laughs> the White House is screwed up. There's no two ways about it. It is dysfunctional. It doesn't mean there's not some good work happening over there and some very serious people, you know, at, at, at a mid to seniorish level 
that have come onto the president's team in the White House. But again, the macro picture doesn't look good, and the White House isn't being well managed, and the president is basically, I think, incapable of being managed. And <clears throat> I think that's well, very different than than what we've seen in other so administrations. It, so it's certainly different than the last eight years. It's different than the last 16 years, frankly. And and so it's a, it's a difficult time, but, but Blake and Mark, I mean, on the flip side, you know, the inner workings of government, they, as I was saying before, they continue. And, well, you know, I was, last week, I was at Treasury, State, and Congress, um, all over the Hill. Uh, you know, the they're not sitting there thinking, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't do my job because, Donald Trump's the president of the United States. No, they have a job to do. They understand the broad policy parameters that are coming out of the White House. And guess what? They focus on doing their job. And, and that's what, that's been my experience each and every week, um, you know, through the, the first, um, however many months it's been of this administration. It's, it's, it's the tale of two Washington. It took 144 days for Howard to agree with me that there will be no pivot, that this is the Trump presidency, that Bob Gates is not coming in as chief of staff to save the day. What you see is what you get. He's 70 years old. He has been who he is his whole life. That's not changing. And the consequence of that, I think, Blake and Howard, goes directly to Howard's point. On matters where the Treasury Department, the Commerce Department, the State Department can do their business without the direct involvement of the president himself, yeah, they are open for business, they are doing business, and the government, thank God, endures. On matters where the president himself has to be involved and make decisions, it's not good. It is far, far from good and, and getting worse. And one of the things that has happened, just to finish the thought, if I may, for example, in the Senate, where they are working on health care, as we said, there is significantly less involvement with the Republican majority in the Senate from the Republican White House, or the Republican House for that matter, than you would ordinarily expect and see. And that, I believe, is a direct consequence of the president's performance. I mean, one example you know, that that we have seen. Go, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just gonna. I was just gonna offer a thought. You gonna bring back Bob Gates? Well, you know what? The country would be well served, but I don't think oh. Bob Gates would be well served. I'll um, I'll carry his bag into the office. I'm sure you will. Um, so would most of the country. The um, no, but the, it, it's apropos of that point. The way to think about everything in Washington right now is to go back to the maxim that personnel is policy. 
and, and to look at everything, whether you're talking about the White House or you're talking about the agencies through that lens, who is in the positions they're in and what that has a direct impact on policymaking and operational function. And so, you know, if you look at the, look at the cabinet, look at something like the um, Department of Treasury, where you've got Mnuchin in there. He's, you know, yes, he was a finance guy, but he understands the capital markets. He understands the role of Treasury. He's, he's settling in. Or you look at, look at, um, you know, commerce with Wilbur Ross. Or people may not like his policies, but the EPA and Scott Pruitt, he understands the job he's there to do. He has real people working for him. There are real people in these jobs where you have that substantive people. You may not like their policy, but they're real people. There are real things getting done, and they're frankly being done in a thoughtful and deliberate and considered way. Where you've got a bunch of yes people, and clearly we saw a bunch of, we saw them pretend to be a bunch of yes people around the table at the cabinet meeting yesterday, but but where you've got a bunch of yes people like your kids and Reince Priebus and other people like that, Kellyanne Conway, like, yeah, you're going to get something that's a little, that's off, not a little bit off, it's off. And but, but, that's kind of fundamentally what's going on in town right now. Yeah, and I, I completely concur. I think you said it uh, perfectly that personnel is policy at this point. EPA is, in my experience, the best example of that, although HHS is close behind with yeah. Tom Price and, and Seema Verna. They, they are real people. They came with an agenda. They are implementing it within their building, and they are doing so free and clear of the Oval Office. However... However, one consequence of the chaos in the Oval Office is that there aren't enough people in government to get the work done. We see it, Howard, all the time in our travels. Yes, Scott Pruitt has some folks around him. Yes, Tom Price and Seema Verna brought some of their people in. But there are many, many, many open offices, empty offices, and that is having a a daily impact on the operations of the federal government. And I think the prospect of filling those seats is getting dimmer and dimmer for a while. It was and you kept saying it and. I agreed with this. I no longer do. They weren't ready to govern. They didn't think they were going to win. There was no real transition. You got to give them time. Well, they've had some time, and it's just so chaotic that people don't want to join. So I think those empty chairs are going to remain unfilled, and and that's not good. That is not good for the country. I agree. And it goes to the personnel as policy point. If there's somebody who's not in a job, you can't make policy. And some agencies are are better off than than others. But you know, I, I saw it um, 
recently working an issue for a client related to it's related to the Homeland Security budget and um, the as, as I think people know the president recently released his 2018 budget request well guess what it doesn't really fully reflect even though he's been in office now and it's his first budget request real budget request it doesn't really reflect his priorities because there aren't people at Homeland Security yet to tell him what to put in his budget. So we have to wait until the fiscal 2019 budget. So basically a full year from now to see a budget request that actually reflects, fully reflects the president's priorities. That's very inside the beltway-ish and maybe a little too much so for this call. But, but the point is if there's nobody home you can't make policy, and if you can't make policy, you can't advance your agenda. So yes, it has an impact. <clears throat> and even if you even if you try to advance policy, we've seen the president be disruptive. Um, and I I think the 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 Ninth Circuit's opinion on the on the travel ban sort of illuminates what happens when when the president decides to to get anxious, which. Which would which would suggest that for the serious people that that you you all have described who understand government who have surrounded themselves with also serious people who get the bureaucracy and who get um, the way government functions at the agency level you're seeing progress and you all have illuminated some some good examples of that you're seeing something else mentioning the Ninth Circuit uh, reminds me that it, it's very important to say what you are seeing to a significant degree so far is the constitution actually working the court system is up and running and whatever donald trump says about mexican <clears throat> judges notwithstanding you had an unconstitutional travel ban we can now call it a travel ban since the president has capitalized right, it right. in his tweets and it's been cited by the ninth circuit but an unconstitutional order has been stopped by the court system notwithstanding a daily assault on the integrity and independence of the press the first amendment is working much of what has brought this president to the impasse he faces is the media and investigative reporting hasn't been this robust since I was a, a junior in college. And we're hearing that from, from members of Congress. And we're hearing that from right. members of Congress. And by the way, Congress is working as a check on the executive branch as it is supposed to be. Witness, for example, what I think passed. If it didn't, it's about to. The limitation on the president's ability to withdraw the sanctions on Russia. So this guy is testing the system, the Constitution, and the the system in ways that we've never ever seen before. It, it's a stress test, like Howard used to perform on the banks uh, back in the TARP days. But so far, the system has has proved up to the challenge. I want to I want to talk about healthcare because it's an issue that is of considerable interest to um, many of our clients. It is keeping um, 
many folks in our in our group very very busy on the hill and and it is you know from a policy perspective uh, you know arguably but I, I i think you'll agree with this the 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 headline issue in terms of what the senate is dealing with mark i i you alluded to it earlier in terms of uh, of what's going on but i thought i thought because of your your work um we might we might shed some light for for those who might not be as close to healthcare but intensely curious for reasons i know you're you're going to explain what's going on in the Senate. Well, what's going on in the Senate as an institutional matter is is very interesting. Um, I mentioned it just a moment ago, but for example, when the Affordable Care Act was passed, which is of course what is now being maybe repealed, you had the Obama White House. You had the Pelosi-led House and you had the Reid-led Senate working together as a Democratic, capital D, Democratic team to pass health care legislation for all sorts of reasons having to do with personnel. Personnel is policy, as Howard says. What you have is the McConnell-led Senate working behind closed doors as a club, if you will, with almost no involvement from either the House or the White House. And that is a very different way for monumental legislation to get crafted in in Washington. What's happening behind those closed doors? It's a tug of war between the conservatives and the less conservative members of the Republican caucus in the Senate. They are battling basically about how much money to spend on health care. And Mark, we're, we're at least there's some speculation that whatever comes out of that that club discussion, if you will, will you know, we we may not have hearings on it. We may it may not go through what we saw and what you experienced firsthand yep. um, with the Affordable Care Act, which people forget it was not passed in the dark of night. It took many many months. There were many many hearings and uh, lots of public discussion about it. I won't hold you to it, but what what do you think the prospects are that 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 we'll we'll see much public debate about whatever the Senate the Senate proposes before they vote? I think there is no prospect of seeing any public debate on what the Senate proposes before they vote. None, zero. You may get it scored. You may not. That is up to Mitch McConnell. The House, of course, passed a bill unscored with zero public comment right. or hearing. There will be no public comment or hearing. You may or may not get a score. What the Senate passes will not be what the House passed. That is not going to happen. And therefore, if the Senate passes anything, it will go to conference and it will be in the period before and during the conference that there will be a public expression of views on the two competing bills, but but no hearings, no hearings in Congress. I just don't see this as being 
much different from things in the ordinary course or more specifically what happened when the Affordable Care Act was passed. I don't think what you're describing is, is fundamentally different. That was passed um, the same way this will be passed if it is passed, and I think it not, will not be. Not even you, close to true. Not even close you to can, true. You can there hold was, me to there that. Were no, there were no votes on an unscored bill. Well, there were no votes on bills that had not gone through the committee process, including public committee hearings. At the end of the day, right, when Scott Brown beat Martha Coakley, at the end of the day for Ted Kennedy's seat, the president and the leadership reconciled a health care bill. That is what they have in common. But, Howard, it's just not factual that there were votes on unscored bills, that there were votes on bills that hadn't gone through committee hearings. Yeah, but fundamentally, they jammed that through, just like the Republicans are going to jam this through. And, you know, at I think that... Point, at this point in the process with the Affordable Care Act, anybody who cared to could tell you exactly what the bill said and exactly what the CBO said the consequences of that were. That, that ain't happening here. Maybe you don't consider that material, but but first of all, it is incomparable. And secondly, I think it's highly material that this is all being done. Healthcare insurance is being taken away from some number of millions of Americans behind closed doors. Do it in the light of day. I think yeah that, I mean for yeah for I mean for for what it's worth it was July 2009 when the Democrats in the House revealed their plan and it wasn't until March of 2010 before uh the president ultimately signed the Affordable Care Act and there's a lot of procedure in between uh this is going a little bit faster I think we we'll all agree on that um Howard, I want to. I don't know. I wanna, you could. One could argue this is eight years in the making, or or six or seven years in the making, but um, not going very well. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I I want to. I, I do want to turn because we. Uh, I think we we can't avoid talking talking about it. You guys have have done a great job of uh, of I think illuminating for for everyone on the call that. Washington is very much open for business, but Washington also um, can can slow itself down when when major issues uh, and major events take place. And and we had one uh, last week with the testimony of former FBI Director James Comey. And now today we have reports that uh, after meeting with the president, uh, Chris Ruddy of Newsmax um, indicated that the the White House is is now officially uh, considering firing the, the special prosecutor, uh, Robert Mueller, the former director of the FBI. We can certainly happy to get your thoughts on that generally if you'd, if you'd like to convey them. But, Howard, my question more so is, you know, sort of back to kind of the theme of, of functionality in Washington and, and, and whether, whether um, you know, this issue, uh, the attorney general is testifying later this afternoon, the deputy attorney general testified this morning, uh, on their uh, deputy attorney general testifying on his budget, uh, I mean on the on DOJ's budget, um, 
the attorney general testifying later today in front of Senate intelligence. Um, Howard, I mean, you've been there. I mean, you, you, you've seen challenging, challenging, extremely challenging times in Washington. Um, what are we to make of, of, of all this? And I'm not, I'm not getting into the weeds on, on the investigation itself, although certainly would love to hear your thoughts if you want to share them. But, but in terms of the headlines, in terms of, I mean, our attention span, you know, can only handle so much. Um, this appears to be, you know, a, a daily headline. What, what, what weight do you give it? I mean, you're in Washington. What's, what do you think about all that? I mean, I, I think it's a total distraction from the president advancing his agenda. Um, it's, <laughs> it's real. It's, um, and, and it's significant and it's, it's not dying down and whatever, I mean, and, and it's reality TV. That's what this feels like. It feels like, uh, you know, everybody's got the TV on and is watching it, but it, it feels almost oddly separate in a way. Um, it's not, but it, but it feels like it is. Last week, uh, you know, when Comey was testifying, I was on the Hill back and forth from different offices and everybody had, every office had it on and everybody was, was watching it, but they were also doing their jobs. And, and so it's, it's not like this is going on. So the business of government, the business of Capitol Hill stops. It doesn't, it's just, it's, it's almost, I mean, it sounds like an understatement, but it's like a sideshow. It's like a reality TV show. Somebody flips on, it's not, grinding Washington to a halt. It is grinding the president's advancing of his agenda to a halt. I mean, last week was supposed to be infrastructure week. Nice try. <laughs> so it's, it's, obviously, it's obviously terrible. It's obviously much of it is self-inflicted, if not all of it. It's dangerous. Uh, but, it, it, but the business of government goes on. But it is deadly serious. It is yeah. about Russian interference in our election. It is about potential as yet unproven collusion between the winning candidate's campaign and a foreign power. And now it is about potential as yet unproven obstruction of justice by the president of the United States. And that is deadly serious stuff. It is. And I know, oh, no, I know you agree. I, I don't mean to, to quarrel with anything you said, but it is also having another immediate impact, I believe, that is just dreadful and 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 going the wrong way. We are somehow as a country at a time and place in our history where the FBI director, the former director of the FBI, in front of a Senate committee under oath, calls the president of the United States a liar, and everybody shrugs. Well, half the country says, well, of course he's a liar, and the other half says, no, you're the liar. And we have just so, so dreadfully dumbed down the debate and become 
inured and numb to what in any other era would be absolute total eclipses of the sun would be the only thing going on anywhere. And you know and what's it crazy concerns though? me greatly. It just concerns me greatly that we are normalizing something that is not normal. It's a great it's a great concern, grave concern. Um but what what's crazy to me amidst all of this where the president shoots himself in the foot every single day in every single way and he's as weak as weak can be yet there's no democratic voice in Washington the democrats are like almost silent no message Five months into this thing, six months into this thing, no message. They have no yeah. message. There's no opposition. There's no other voice out there moderating what's going on or, or providing the country with a path forward. It's all Trump, 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 which, by the way, he was smarter than everybody when it came to the election. Maybe he's smarter than everybody now. I don't think so. But, Mark, where the heck are the Democrats? Well, I think let's 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 talk about that because I think we've got we've got a couple of couple of things to consider. One, in some ways, Trump is doing the Democrats' work if you if you cons- if you put any weight in in approval numbers, right direction, wrong direction, uh, trustworthiness, honesty. Trump's upside down in 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 every poll. He's got the lowest presidential approval ratings of any modern president since George Bush at the at the at the at the, at the stage of the Iraq war when it was at its worst. But I'll let you guys debate that point. Mark, I do want to talk about the Democrats and I want to talk about I want to talk about three three people really. One is is Hillary Clinton, um, who uh, has stepped out from from behind the shadows to relitigate all the reasons why she lost the election. I want to get your thoughts about that. Uh, the second is uh, Bernie Sanders, who um, has made some very pointed comments about about what the Democrats need to do. Um, Want to get your thoughts about that. And the third is Phil Murphy, uh, who just won uh, the Democratic nomination in New Jersey, uh, someone you know very well, uh, served in the Obama administration, uh, who appears to be, from all prognosticators, the and are, uh, on the fast track to being the next governor of New Jersey. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts about those three Democrats. Well, and yeah. Uh, Barack Obama. Barack Obama, sure. So certainly. start with Hillary and and Barack. the the wrong The wrong one went away. Okay, that's uh, <laughs> as simple as I can say it. You had the president and the almost president, and neither of them obviously is in power. But one of them went away, and one of them won't go away, and it's upside down and backwards. Hillary Clinton should go away. Enough said. Hillary Clinton should go away. Barack Obama should come back, in my view, and help lead the party in this time of crisis. I don't think that Bernie Sanders is the voice of the Democratic Party, but he is a very important voice. And he is at least in the fight, and he is, and he has a message, 
and he is out there demanding to be heard. And I think there are a large number of Democrats coming off the bench and into the fray, not one uh, of whom has yet emerged, Phil Murphy being absolutely one of them. Kamala Harris, the senator see, from see. California, distinguished herself, certainly um, during the Comey hearings and but got the whole the whole received. problem with the whole problem with this discussion, guys, is I asked a question where are the Democrats and the four people whose names you've mentioned are not Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, both out of government, the next governor of New Jersey, not yet the governor of New Jersey, and an independent socialist senator from Vermont that caucuses with the Democrats. Where's Chuck Schumer? Where's Chuck Schumer? How can you ask a question about what's happening in Washington with the Democrats and not talk about Chuck Schumer? There's your problem. Oh, okay. Well, I'll tell you how. Um, I I think you're – I think anyone who's paying close attention to to what's going on in the Senate knows exactly where Chuck Schumer is, which is he is he is perpetually stopping um, a myriad things like very bad people entering the judiciary. Just just one example. Um, But I, I think the there's a when you talk about when you talk about Senate leadership, there's a big difference between national leadership. The reason I asked the question about about those four is because they are without uh, without a doubt the well three of them, um Hillary, the president and Bernie Sanders, um the ones with coalitions um yeah. that will have to figure out how to transition their coalitions uh to benefit the Democratic Party and I wanted to get Mark's take on how they were doing in terms of advancing that coalition. So I think it's a relevant question. The, the, second, the second thing about Phil Murphy is this, we are, this, is, this is, there are two high-profile governor's races this year, Howard. One's in New Jersey. One is in Virginia. And if the Democrats win both, which New Jersey certainly would flip, but Virginia often, oftentimes bounces back and forth. They like to do that um, since it's a one-termer. If the Democrats hold both, then you start to see some national momentum. I've argued to Mark privately that I think that I think if, if Phil Murphy went to New Jersey, he's got he's got national potential. He just has that kind of personality in the same way that I think Jay Inslee of Washington does as well. But not a lot of people know him. A lot of people are talking about Phil Murphy now, um, certainly in the Northeast Corridor uh, where we are. Um, but a lot of the Obama people are talking about Phil Murphy. Um, and that's why that's why I wanted to raise that's why I raised those people. But let me just say this, and Howard, it's a very good question. Where are the Democrats? And we've chatted a little bit about it, but the Democrats are nowhere yet. Is the only honest answer. <clears throat> but let's just take a step back and and look at the part the two party system. Where are the Republicans? The president isn't. Well, the president isn't able to get anything done and isn't a Republican anyway. The Republican Party is fractured both between those who support this president and those who don't. 
and within itself between conservatives and ultra-conservatives, as we saw in the House trying to pass a health care bill. It's what's going on now in the Senate. The Republicans have the White House, the House, and the Senate. What's their message? What's their agenda? The parties have both melted down in the wake of one of the most challenging elections in American history. I actually don't I, I don't agree. I mean, I think, look, the Republicans are absolutely going to have to account in 2018 for the public's view of what Washington has, has done or, or not done. They own it. They own it now. And they're going to have to account for it. And that, that's not all about Donald Trump. I mean, I've had several conversations with members of Congress in the last couple of weeks where they've said, look, uh, yes, we're concerned about Trump in 2018, but we're more concerned about um, what's coming out of the Congress and how people view view Congress. I don't agree, Mark, that there's no agenda. I think, unfortunately, it's being eclipsed on CNN by Russia-related stuff. But pro-growth, less regulation, lower taxes... Um, getting business going, growing the economy, that is um, very much below the surface what the Republicans are pushing here in Washington. It's what the administration is pushing. People in the agencies are leaning in just a little bit more, um, even in the bureaucracy, a little bit more than they have in the last eight years. Um, Even the careers in terms of doing things that are that are geared toward getting the economy moving. That's the orientation of this administration. Notwithstanding all the White House nonsense, that's the clear message, Mark, that you and I are getting in our travels around town. So I do think there is an agenda. I think, unfortunately, the headlines are just not allowing that to to come through. And as they say in politics, it's all about perception. Um, Yeah, I want to wrap up. Yeah, I want to wrap up our our discussion uh, today on on kind of where you think we'll be um, at the end of the summer. There's some speculation that the August recess may be in jeopardy. Um, where do you, Mark? Where do you think we'll be uh, come Labor Day? Come Labor Day, we're going to be pretty much where we are now. I think the moving part that may change the fall is healthcare. I apologize for banging that drum again, but if they can get health care done, it may allow tax reform to move forward in the fall. That may allow infrastructure, may not. There is no bill to look at. If they can't get health care done, we're going to be right where we are. We're going to be coming back and dealing with the budget and dealing with the debt ceiling, having accomplished nothing. So the next couple of weeks, in a very real sense, are pivotal to the the success of the Republican agenda in Congress. The White House can't contribute much to it, but uh, Mitch McConnell may get it done. He, he may get there, and then the fall will look a little different. Absent that, no, nothing's going to change. Howard, your thoughts. Where do you think we'll be come Labor Day? 
Well, there will be an August recess because <laughs> the what I've heard from some Republican members is that the speaker made a very bad decision keeping Congress in for so long at the beginning of the session and then having nothing to show for it. So I think as perverse as that is, making people do their jobs um, being a bad thing, I don't think that if it doesn't get done before August, it's not going to get, it's not going to drag. They're not, they're not um, throwing away their vacation and they're not going to stay around uh, waiting for something to happen if it's not going to happen. They need an action forcing event. So I think healthcare gets done pre-August recess and sets us up for, for tax reform in the fall. From the administration's point of view, the picture is bleak. He'll either, I mean, this nonsense about firing Mueller is absurd. If he does, Congress will immediately pass a law reinstituting him. Um, and, and that's just going to be its own sideshow. With, for the administration, this is going to, it's going to be a drip, drip, drip. This is the next two years, unfortunately. And so I think the picture for them at the end of the summer is very much the same as it is today. It's more drip, drip, drip of the self-inflicted wounds of this Russia, Russia mess. Um, uh, concluding thoughts, um, Mark, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the clear theme of, of today's call certainly is that is that um, Washington is open is open for business that um, that the business of, of Washington, certainly at the agency level, as, as the two of you are, are seeing and and even on Capitol Hill um, continues. What should what should people who are, uh, you know, who sense that that an issue or their issue or, or something significant related to their business uh, may be coming down the pike? What should they be considering as they as as they think about Washington and how to engage? Well, I think our advice, Blake to businessmen and women and to men and women who are just simply citizens who care is exactly the word you used, engage. If there is no engagement, there is no hope of moving the needle. Engagement is possible and engagement is important. And I would just urge anybody, again, citizen, business person, um, I would urge everybody to think about what they care about, what's important to them in their business or in their lives, and to recognize that the budget is going to be debated, maybe even in public hearings, shockingly, uh, come September, and and everything that anyone cares about is in there somewhere. So that's a great focus for engagement. Howard, the last word is yours. So I'll piggyback on that point, budget. Look at um, the, the fiscal 2017 budget that Congress passed in, in May. Um, it was a bipartisan bill. It actually was a coalition in the House of more Democrats. There were more Democrats on the bill than there were, than there were Republicans, I think. Uh, Mark, to your point, you know, follow the money. And if you if you look at that, the path of that bill, you know, I think it's a good example of something getting done and a good example of the power dynamic in Washington. The Democrats 
do have power. They need more of a message. And, and I think we're going to see that, see that dynamic continue to play out. A lot to watch for and, and a lot to consider. Mark Howard, thank you very much uh, for your thoughts today. And thanks uh, to everyone uh, who joined us. We're, we're happy to be back. And, and uh, if you have comments, questions, they're always welcome. Criticisms of your moderator especially, you can reach us at Presidential Analysis uh, at Cozen.com. And uh, we'll be communicating back out uh, when we're going to have another call. But in the meantime, uh, stay cool. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Blake. Ladies and gentlemen, for any questions, please email presidentialanalysis at cozen.com. That does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation. I ask that you please disconnect your line.